Hey, welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. You may remember that since April, I've been following the journey of my friend Scott Luria, who's riding his bicycle across the United States, a lifelong dream that's going to take him a year and 15,000 miles to complete. I caught up with Scott last night, and he filled me in on his journey so far. As usual, he's in a campground, talking on his mobile, and while the connection isn't what we'd have if he were with me in the studio, it's just fine for us to catch up and hear about his latest adventures. Here's Scott. Well, we have so much to talk about, and you know, it's, it's almost, it's been seven weeks, Steve, since we last had our, our, our interview. It has been, and that's okay. I mean, you know, you've been busy. You've, you've obviously been in some interesting places. So do me a favor, Scott, before we get into the actual sort of where you're at stuff, do me a favor and just do a quick recap for our listeners of what you're doing. Just remind them who you are and what you're actually doing on this adventure. <laughs> a very good question. Well, um, I'm Scott Luria. I'm a retired primary care physician who is um, – undertaking his, uh, his uh, lifelong desire, his, basically his, his bucket list, I call it the mother of all bucket lists, to not only bike across the country, one thing I've always wanted to do, but also to visit all of the state high points, meaning the highest elevation, natural elevation in each state, and to do it not like people do it by driving there, but by actually bicycling there, having started at the Atlantic Ocean or at sea level as a, as a place to, you know, to start from. Um, and really, that, that was the structure of the trip. But what the trip has really been about is just visiting, what's the word, offbeat corners of our country and seeing things I never dreamed I would see. And, I, and so much has happened since our last visit that you know, it's almost hard to keep them all straight. I do have a blog that has them all, all detailed, but there's just so many of them that I'll, I'll need to get some nudges to figure out the, the highlights of the highlights because they've all been highlights. And the, the line that I keep saying is that it's the people who are the real high points. I've met just dozens and dozens and dozens of compelling people, and uh, they really stick with me. And uh, also, I've had lots of experiences that I call Easter egg, meaning unexpected um, bits of joy or discovery or, or things I never expected I would find. Um, and all these things have been just a, a source of, of thrill for me. It's, you know, there's been challenges, but they pale in comparison to the great times I've had and to just how, uh, what's the word, rewarding or, or um, invigorating this trip is. I can tell you lots of details, but that's sort of the bare bones of the trip. The rough plan is to do this by crossing the northern half of the country this summer, uh, going down the West Coast in the fall, uh, crossing the southern tier of states in the wintertime, and back up the east, either the, the mountains but also the east coast, finishing back in my home in Vermont in the late spring. And I'm about, um, yeah, I'm about one, well, I'm, I'm two months in. I just, I just almost touched the 3,000 mile point. It's been just amazing. I have so many stories to tell. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. So we're, we're all looking forward to the book that is going to come from this. Yes. Spot. And, yeah, right? I mean, that's, that's something you've got to do. And by the way, folks, just in case there was any question, let me be very clear here. Scott said he's biking across the country, but... This is the kind of biking that is powered by feet, thighs, and calves. This is not the kind that's powered by gasoline. <laughs> so. it, it, it's also not an e-bike. It's a regular, what they call a pedal bike, meaning it's, uh, yeah, it's the old-fashioned kind where it's just, just me. And, th and that's part of the appeal. The idea is to do it without using any fossil fuel. 
with this particular summer where it, the climate change is so bad right now with the uh, wildfires in the West and the drought and the unprecedented heat, it sort of underscores how urgent this is to, uh, to, to wean off the fossil fuel. Absolutely. And and so, Scott, let me let me ask you this question, just to kind of get it out of the way. You've left, obviously, at the tail end of the pandemic and you, you know, you waited a long time to get started, but you did it. You finally took off. When you first left, uh, none of the campgrounds were open. You had to stay in hotels. And so what has changed in terms of lodging, campground availability, the general demeanor that you're encountering across the country? How are things feeling out there? In general, markedly better. It varies state by state. But in general, um, campgrounds were not closed because of COVID. They were closed because it was too cold and nobody was camping yet. Um, And uh, so as soon as they normally opened up, they were open. Uh, But I'll tell you, um, it's almost been a reverse effect. People are so cooped up from being in the pandemic last year that outdoor recreation is soaring like never before. And the problem with campgrounds is not that they're not open, but that they're full. Uh, Campgrounds and motels, people, especially in the cities, are so desperate to get the heck out of the cities that even even tiny towns that are not typically tourist towns uh, and and even in the middle of the week, which is not typically the busy time. And also, even before the the schools let out you know, uh, for the summer, the uh, the 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 grade schools, um, I would often find that there was no room to be had that uh, every room had been, had been reserved, and even the campgrounds were full. So um, it hasn't been a problem yet. I've always been able to find something, but this is really in the season, and, and the summer really hasn't, you know, today is the first day of summer, so hasn't really gone, gotten into full swing yet. And I do have some despair about whether I will be able to find campgrounds at, a, at the drop of a hat. You know, the nature of being on a bike is you never know how far you're going to go that day. You know, what with the wind and weather and flat tires and breakdowns and, you know, personal feeling kind of, you know, better or worse one day or the other. It's important that you don't plan too many days in advance. Um, And so this is maybe going to be a problem, but it has not been a big problem yet. But that's one big change. I will tell you that it does vary state by state. When I was in Michigan, for instance, you might remember Michigan had a higher than usual COVID rate late in the game. They, they had a late surge. And so the governor had shut things down and I found things more shut down there. And I still run across things like, uh, you know, the restaurants where I'll eat don't have any indoor seating. They do takeout only. And in the case, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I, I partake a fair amount of fast food. And often I cannot sit in the restaurant. I have to actually go to the driveway as a pedestrian, which is pretty funny. I, I walk up to, to the drive through window and give my order and then you know, walk to the next window to pay in the third window to pick up my food. What the hell is this guy doing? Walking to the drive-thru. <laughs> so there's little things like that. But, 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 but in general, um, it has not been a problem, you know. And uh, most people who I have encountered ha- have been vaccinated. Uh, so I haven't, I've never felt unsafe, never felt like there was really a medical issue. However, there are still some residual regulatory issues or, or statutory issues that I will come across occasionally. But it's, it's getting better. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Okay, one other critical question before we move on. How much weight have you lost so far? Um, it's funny because it's very hard to find scales. Uh, uh, what I did was go to Walmart a couple of days ago where, you ever been to Walmart, they'll check your blood pressure and you sit on this seat. And I had all my, you know, I had all my, I had my helmet on and my, my heavy bike shoes on. 
And even so, with all that on, I have lost 32 pounds in the, in the last two months. Wow. And it's probably more than that because I probably had about five pounds of gear on me too. So uh, now whether that's an accurate scale, I mean, you're sitting on a chair, you're not standing on a scale, who knows. But uh, certainly my, all my clothes are swimming on me and I, I'm having to buy smaller sizes. So something's happening. And, uh, and I'll tell you, this is despite having a pretty atrocious diet, I have to admit, um, you know, a lot of fast food, you know, I, I'm in, I'm in rural America, so it's often hard to find quality produce. I'm, I could try harder than I do, but typically it's uh, fast food restaurants and convenience stores with the stuff that, that they have. Um, and then occasionally going to a nice restaurant, but, uh, and I, I do cook a few things, you know, for myself at the campsite, but I'm just starting to do that now. I haven't done much of that yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'm not going to ask you our typical questions, which are like, who's the coolest person you've met since the last time we talked? Because frankly, it's been a long time and I know there are lots of them. But let me just ask you this, Scott. Are there any in particular that stand out that, you know, one of the things that people love about about our interviews here, and I've gotten lots and lots of feedback on this, is that, you know, people are traveling vicariously with you because you're doing something a lot of people dream about. And you set out to do kind of the Blue Highways thing a little bit. Uh, I mean, A, because you have to. You're on a bike after all. You can't exactly be up on Highway 90. But you're also doing it for a very deliberate reason, and that is to meet the people, to see the towns that are bypassed by the freeways and to, and to get a sense of just what this country is. What have you learned? What have you seen since we last spoke? Um, I have learned, I've been focusing mostly on the Midwest states right now. And that's an area which I know nothing about. And I think many people who live on the coast don't know much about those Midwest states, particularly Wisconsin and, uh, and, and Minnesota, which I had barely been to. And I've spent well over two weeks in each state and have had no shortage of things to do. There's just so much, there's so much to see uh, that you've never heard of. And a, a small example is in a part of northern, the northern Minnesota. I, I went to the northern tip via the uh, wonderful National Park of Isle Royal um, in the middle of Lake Superior. And, and from there, I took a ferry to uh, the northeastern tip of of uh, Michigan above Lake Superior, almost in Canada, and went down what they call the Superior North Shore, which is a stunningly beautiful landscape that I just I couldn't believe how how amazing it was. Just uh, incredible rock formations, the highway with tunnels through it. It kind of reminded me a little bit about the, about the California coast, you know, like the coast highway with the tunnels and and the dazzling views of the uh, of the ocean. Lake Superior, as you know, is the largest freshwater lake in the world. And so it feels like an ocean without the salt. Um, you can't see the other side. And it's this massive body of water. And it's so unknown except for people who, of course, live in Michigan. And then uh, that gave out onto an impressive city, Duluth, which I had barely heard of, which is the largest port on the Great Lakes and also the port, in the, 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 port the most farthest inland in the world. It's 2,300 miles from that uh, port that can handle ocean liners to get out to the ocean, which is quite remarkable. And then from there to something I just barely heard of called the Masabi Iron Range. This is a, uh, a low range of hills in northern Minnesota where the largest iron mines in the world are. Uh, and I visited one of them that looks like, like the Grand Canyon. It's, it's being strip mined, but not in an ugly way. Um, and it's, it's sort of revealing the layers of the ore 
this is where U.S. Steel and uh, J.P. Morgan got their start. And I spent quite a bit of time talking to a man who had worked there his whole life and now served as an ambassador to the little observation post that they have there. And then right next door to that, Steve, uh, was the town of Hibbing, Hibbing, Minnesota, where Bob Dylan grew up. On, on a whim, I went to see his rather modest home uh, on the streets of Hibbing, sort of a working class town, mostly centered around the iron mine. And to my great delight, an older man came out, turns out to be the guy who bought the house, and he gave me a personalized tour of Bob uh, Dylan's childhood home, including the garage where he practiced with his, uh, his local band, where he wrote his music in the, in the, uh, in the Naughty Pine rec room the tiny bedroom where he slept, and the best part where he had carved his initials. His name was Bobby Zimmerman back then. BZ was carved everywhere in, in, in the door jams and, uh, and, and the walls of his bedroom and his uh, rec room. That was you know, such a thrill. And this is just one little example of these things I call Easter eggs, things I had no idea I was going to be able to see. And it was just on a whim that I went to see a corner of the country I'd, never, I'd barely heard of and never seen and found so much. I, I, I could have spent, I almost felt like I could have spent weeks in the places that I wound up only spending days, but I was glad to have at least seen those. That's fantastic. And you know what, you know, Scott, what that illustrates to me is something I've believed for a long time, and that is that everybody has a story to tell if you just give them the opportunity. Absolutely. And the gentleman that owns the house now, you clearly did that, right? Yes. I mean, he, uh, he has a fa- he's a pharmacist, a retired pharmacist who was a Bob Dylan fan, who bought both Dylan childhood homes, the one in Duluth where he was born and the one in Hibbing where he grew up. And he's painstakingly restoring each one of them and hopes to turn them into a museum someday. But right now he's just restoring them to their 1950s glory, uh, which is kind of funny. And, you know, I mean, he is besieged by people taking photographs out, outside these, uh, these houses that are both quite modest and have a plaque on, this, on the wall. But because I had this funny looking bike uh, that piqued his interest. And, you know, he came out to speak to me because he was curious about the bike. So the bike has been a real conversation starter and an opportunity maker. Another example was I, I wheeled my bike into a Chicago hotel. You know, I, and I, I went right through Chicago. I'd never seen Chicago before. Went right through Chicago. And you can't stay in a campground in Chicago or even in a, you know, I want to stay right downtown. So uh, I used a, a a, um, a website called Priceline to score the cheapest room in, in, uh, in this Chicago hotel, it was the Marriott. And because I sort of looked kind of uh, scraggly in my, in, in my biker gear, you know, walking into this fancy marble uh, foyer, I asked if I could have an upgrade. And the woman gave me the penthouse suite of this, uh, uh, of this hotel. I was flabbergasted, the 46th floor, a five-room suite all to myself for the same price as the cheapo Priceline room. So basically, I got two days in the penthouse suite in Chicago and a great chance to spend a day exploring Chicago. I call that blog page Scott Luria's Day Off, like Ferris Bueller, you know, trying to run around doing as many Chicago things as I possibly could in a single day. So another unexpected thrill. You're really milking this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> I said, you're really milking this, aren't you? Don't get used to it, Scott. <laughs> you know, I, well, it's, it keeps happening. I mean, just and as I told you, the times you talked to me before, I think I have my other interviews in like a, a fancy hotel in Syracuse and uh, a jacuzzi room in Erie. Uh, each time it was because I looked so, um, you know, so what's the one, uh, not shopboard or just a little bit raggedy around the edges that people kind of said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give them the best room we've got. And so 
Yeah, I am kind of milking it, I guess. I suppose that's taking advantage, but I don't feel too badly about it. <laughs> I would. I mean, I'd, I'd milk it for all it was worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Scott, let me ask you this. I know you've just pulled into your campsite and you're probably looking for something to eat. So let me wrap this up for you. So tell me a little bit, real quick, can you give us kind of an overview a high-level overview of what your route has been so far. I haven't even asked you where I find you today. I don't know where you are. So can you kind of give us a quick, a kind of a quick overview of the trip so far? Sure. Basically, my my trip has gone um, down from Burlington, down the Lake Champlain to uh, to the beginning of the Erie Canal in Troy, New York. And then I followed the Erie Canal all the way to Niagara Falls, which I, 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 I visited and then down through Buffalo, the end of the Erie Canal. Then I, I went along Lake Erie, um, the south shore of Lake Erie, to the western part of the state to start doing these state high points. I have done five of these high points so far, the first one being in Ohio. And connecting those dots, it took me to Indiana and then to, uh, to Muncie, Indiana, uh, and up sort of diagonally to the Lake Michigan shore, just south of Chicago, skirting along the, the shore of Lake Michigan, all the way up to Milwaukee, where I had family, and then uh, diagonally across upper Wisconsin to the high point of Wisconsin, in northern Wisconsin, Tim's Hill, and from there straight north into the upper peninsula of Michigan, where the high point of Michigan is, uh, and um, that rather prominent spike of Michigan that pokes into the Lake Superior called the Keweenaw Peninsula, went out to the tip of that took a ferry to Isle Royal, the eye of Lake Superior, um, and the least visited national park in the country, an, an amazing spot. And from there, as I mentioned, to the tip of Minnesota, following down the Superior North Shore, and through the Mesabi Iron Range, and through Hibbing, and then over to the source of the Mississippi, Lake Itasca. I wanted to try to avoid crossing the Mississippi, and thereby crossing from the traditional east to the west of our country. I wanted to do that at the source. And if you've been to that lake, it's, it's just a tiny stream coming out of the lake and you can rock hop or wade your way across the largest river in the country right where it starts. And so that's how I first crossed Mississippi. Um, and then I've been basically following the Mississippi downstream from there through the headwaters of that and uh, the St. Croix, basically uh, dancing on both sides of the Wisconsin-Minnesota border, visiting people like these warm showers sites. I visited those. I hooked up with a... Uh, doctor who had been my mentor for a number of years. That was exciting. And then just last night, I was staying at a warm showers right in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I'd never been, uh, and took a tour of that city, including the George Floyd uh, Memorial Site and uh, the Mary Tyler Moore statue in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, and that was just yesterday. And, and today, I'm on the banks of the Mississippi in, um, in Wisconsin, just on the other side of the Mississippi, in a cute little uh, campsite marina called Mr. Ippy, Mr. Sippy. And that's where I am right now. <laughs> Mr. Sippy. I love that. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've already talked to Mr. Sippy. Yeah, he's the owner of the campground and he's very kind to let me camp. Uh, I'm the only tent here. It's all RVs and, and motorboats, but they do allow tents and I'm, I'm camped right here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So you, you can eat. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, any, you can hear oh, oh, uh, one of the motorboats firing up right now. That's yeah. I was wondering what that was. I heard the sound. I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah, I'm oh, going away. So oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> there it goes. Yep. Well, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a real cigarette boat. <laughs> that is a motorboat. Absolutely.
Wow. I hope he doesn't do that tonight. <laughs> no, no, I think I think it's going to be pretty quiet here. It's it's a cute. It's a, I'm watching the sunset over the Mississippi. What what an amazing river! I mean, now about 200 miles downstream, and already it's a pretty big river. But it was cool to cross it for the first time as a tiny trickle. No kidding. No, you know, you don't you don't think about that, right? But they all start somewhere. Uh, Scott, so any last minute or last minute sort of last final observations or thoughts before we leave you for the evening to enjoy the sunset? Sure. I, I guess what I would say is I've met, I'd say close to a hundred people I've had conversations with and had interacted with others in a, in a more informal way. I haven't had a single negative experience the entire time. Um, you know, I, I was a bit apprehensive at being an, an obvious Easterner, you know, with a bit of a of a of a difference from most people around here and then i'm on a bike and you know look like a you know all clad in lycra I, I was a bit apprehensive that i would perhaps not be welcomed with open arms but despite my standing out like a sore thumb it has been just the opposite and all it, it, it underscores what you were saying when the intro to your book steve that basically despite huge differences in perhaps political orientation or or, or backgrounds or demographics people are just basically nice people. And it's only served to affirm my excitement about this country that we live in, you know, that, that, uh, that for all of our, that we hear about the news, the, you know, the, the person on the street is just, I can almost count on the kindness of strangers as Blanche Dubois would say. And that, that always, that doesn't surprise me anymore, but it continues to amaze me. Absolutely. Well, with a, with a tip of the hat to you and to one of my personal heroes, Mr. Samuel Clemens, or Mark Twain to a lot of us, where, who, whose country you're in right now and who has made very similar observations, um, thanks, man. I mean, I, I really appreciate this. And we're going to catch up to you again. We'll, we'll try to catch up to you in a week or two. So, so where are you headed tomorrow? What direction are you, are you headed? Heading south still? I'm I'm still headed downstream. Um, I'm I'm visiting um, a doctor who was one of the residents I trained, who has become a doctor in the town of La Crosse, Wisconsin, maybe a hundred miles downstream from here. So I'll be spending a couple of days with him, and then it's on to continuing down the Mississippi to uh, the high point of Illinois, um, which I have to do in this funny order because it's only open one week, one weekend per month due to the landowner's preference. That's why I didn't do it right off when I was in Chicago. So I had this big, weird fish hook all, all up to the north and right back down again in order to get the timing right for that. And then from there, I head west to the Field of Dreams and to Mason City and where the day the music died happened and on to the high point of Iowa in the western part of the state. Um, and then on to North Dakota and South Dakota, the Badlands, Wounded Knee, and then down to Denver, um, where I'll be rendezvousing with a lot of friends and my wife for the first time in probably four months. She'll, she'll meet me out there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I saw Jane just a couple of days ago and, and uh, she looked great and hopefully she's, she's holding down the fort here in Vermont and we'll make sure that she's okay. So you travel safe, pedal safe. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll catch up to you in a couple of weeks. And congratulations again on your book. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> thank you, Scott. Take care. Enjoy the sunset. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Steve. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. 
In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.